As Mary said, this is Palm Sunday. And I, it wasn't that it crept up on me, because, I mean, I've known since Thanksgiving what the dates were. But it's just, this Lenten season went by so fast for me. It was like six weeks already? And as I was reflecting on this morning service and what to do and what to say, one of the things that you were going to hear with the children's sermon, um, but we didn't do, obviously, is the, the irony of king for a day. Jesus was declared king by all of the people with their palm branches. And when the religious authorities got frustrated by what was going on and actually demanded that Jesus tell his followers to stop it, Jesus said if they were to stop, the rocks themselves would cry out. And so there's this idea that this triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, the Messiah coming in the minds of the people to kick the butt of the Romans and get them out of here. And in less than seven days, less than five days, many of those same people were screaming for his death. King for a day. How fickle is the human heart? Now, many people, myself included, would say, but they weren't his followers. They were just people who were misinterpreting the signs and misunderstanding all that was going on and were being manipulated. And I, I can't argue that necessarily. I don't know the exact people that were standing there. Um, I tried to do a little bit of research to remember or to find the numbers of people. I seem to remember that at some point Jesus had uh, over a hundred followers regularly walking around with him, but I couldn't find that number in the in this this week's study. I do know he had twelve because it specifically says that there were twelve. But there was more than just the 12 that were following him. And as I reflected on this idea of king for a day and the fickleness of the human heart and why people would say he's the king and then fall away, I realized and and the thought hit me that it's even followers of Christ who fall away. It's followers who somehow, someway get frustrated or discouraged or burned out or whatever the case may be that causes them to walk away. I would venture that if we took the time this morning to specifically think of people that we've known who have abandoned the faith, who at one point were vibrant in their love for Jesus and their their faith and their excitement and their motivation to serve. And today, they don't have a thing to do with the church or with God or anything. And it it boggles mind. And then it makes me think, what's the likelihood or possibility of me 
being one of those. Because if you look in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus is talking about the judgment that takes place at the end, you read about the sheep and the goats. Well, what did the goats say? Lord, Lord, in their mind, they were serving him. And the words of Jesus were, depart from me, for I never knew you. And I it just, I've been chewing on that. And in this chewing and thinking and, and trying to come up with an understanding, the Lord reminded me of one of the chapters in the Bible that I hate, because it's not easy. And it's, for me, sometimes confusing as I read it. And it's John chapter 6. So that's what I want to look at this morning as we are remembering Palm Sunday and this idea of the fickleness of the human heart and king for a day and falling away from the faith. And, and just let's look at what we see here in chapter 6. And I'll try to relate to you some of the things that I've read, some of the things I've thought, and we'll see where this takes us. Now, we do not have time this morning to read word for word all 71 verses. It would take us an hour and 10 minutes just to read the chapter, if we were to take any time to, to, to read it and, 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 and spend a moment, a minute with each verse. Okay? So we don't have time this morning to do a minute with each verse. But let's just look at the components of this. Now, in my particular Bible, the one that I use regularly, it has divisions and little headings. So at the beginning of chapter 6, it says Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then the next one is Jesus walks on the water. Then the next one is I am the bread of life. Then the next section is titled the words of eternal life. And that's the end. <clears throat> Yours is probably divided up very similarly. But chapter 6 starts out with Jesus ministering to over 5,000 people. Now, are all 5,000 plus, because as, 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 as you read it, it says he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And um, and so the question is, are these all actual followers of Jesus or not? We don't know. They're following. I mean, they're there to hear him, to listen to his teaching. Um, how much, how in-depth is their faith? How sincere is their faith? I, I couldn't answer that question. But they are there listening. So they are at least open to the idea of him being a teacher, a rabbi, a prophet, the Messiah. And they are seeking. And if you read that particular story, which we're very familiar with. It's the little boy has five barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus multiplies that, feeds all of them. And when it's all said and done, they gather the fragments and there were 12 baskets filled. 
And verse 14 then says, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, what is this prophet? Um, We don't, again, have a lot of time this morning to go into the depth of this, but part of the Jewish tradition, part of what they were looking for is found in Deuteronomy. I believe it's chapter 18. I don't have those notes in front of me. It's either Deuteronomy 18 or Deuteronomy 16. But I think it's Deuteronomy 18. And Moses is telling the people of Israel in his last sermon to the people of Israel before he dies. God is going to raise up a prophet among you who will do the same things that I have done. And he will herald in, if you will, the time of the end. So in the Jewish mindset, in their understanding of end times, God is going to bring about, uh, raise up a prophet. And if you go back to the very first few verses of chapter, uh, of John chapter one and two, in that area, maybe even three, they literally say to John the Baptist, are you the prophet who is to come? And he says, no, I'm not. Well, Jesus later on says, well, yes, he was. He was the one that was pointing to me, and I am the Messiah. Now, I'm simplifying this greatly, but in the, just so you understand, in the Jewish mindset, they look for the end times, the time when the Messiah is going to come, someone who's going to herald the Messiah known as the prophet, and this prophet is going to come and do miraculous things. What did Moses do? Moses... God, through Moses, but Moses had bread every single morning, rain from heaven, so that the people of Israel could eat while they were in the desert. They had manna. It looked like coriander seed after the dew dried up. And it would only last for one day, except on the sixth day, which it would last until the eighth morning, so that people didn't have to gather on the seventh day. A miraculous feeding of bread to the people of God. Through a prophet. Now you see in John chapter 6, Jesus miraculously feeding the people of Israel with bread. And there's this sense that's what the prophet is supposed to do. That's what the prophet's supposed to do. Oh my goodness, this is the prophet! This is the one who's been foretold. And so, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, uh, that he had, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. See, there's this crowd mentality. It's the prophet. Oh my goodness, it's the prophet! It's the prophet! Let's get him and carry him! And so there's this sense they're going to pick him up and raise him up on their shoulders and make him their king and force him to do that which he's not called to do. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, what happened after Jesus got baptized? 
He immediately was led by the Holy Spirit of God into the wilderness where he was fasting for 40 days. And during that time, he was tempted of the devil. And what did the devil do? The devil, in one of the temptations, brought him up to this high mountain and said, look as far as you can see, every every palace, every fortress, every government, I own all of it and I can give it to you. You can rule all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus refused and, re- and refuted his, uh, his temptation with the word of God, saying you should worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. And it said, finally, the enemy left him. So Jesus had already been faced with this temptation to become king of the world. But that wasn't the plan of God. That wasn't what Jesus was here to do. And so, again, the enemy putting it into the minds of the people, this is the prophet who's coming to the world, this is the prophet who's coming to the world, and Jesus is like, oh man, and he pulls out and says, no, this is not the plan, and he goes up onto the mountain by himself. Now, we're not given this instruction, we're not given these words, but in my mind, what I see is Jesus says to Peter and to James and to John and the rest of the disciples, the twelve, says, I gotta get out of here. These people are not, they, they, they got it all wrong, and I can't, no, I'm just leaving. Disperse them, send them on their way, and then you guys get in the boat and head on, I'll meet you on the other side, okay? And so, Jesus gives instructions, we're not given that in the Bible, but I see that that would be the sense of it. Jesus gives instructions to the twelve to disperse the crowd, he's gonna go up into the mountain to pray, and then you guys go on in a boat, and I'll catch up with you later. So now, when Jesus, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus hadn't yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. And when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming to the boat, and they were frightened. And he said, it is I, do not be afraid. And when they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. In my mind's eye, when I read that, I actually see Jesus sits down in the boat and it's like, okay, we're in Capernaum now. I I don't think that's exactly what happened, but that's how my mind sees it. But something happened where Jesus, again, miraculously proved to his disciples, okay, two miracles. That's what the whole book of John, if if you study it, the whole book of John is signs and wonders that prove who Jesus is, okay? The, the wedding at Cana, there's, I mean, all of this stuff. Everything that, that John did, he, he specifically showed miracles that Jesus performed so that people would come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what it says in John chapter 20, if you read it, or John chapter 21. It says, all of the things that Jesus did, if I had, were to write them down, I, the earth couldn't contain all the scrolls. But these specific things were chosen so that you believe, okay? So Jesus' disciples, the twelve the 12 apostles saw Jesus feed 5,000 plus people with bread and fish. Then they see Jesus with their own eyes walking on water. They watch him for three years. They watch him seeing him do all of this stuff. And at some point, in their own hearts, they have to come to an understanding that this guy is more than just a guy. And later on, we'll see where G, where Peter says, "Who are we supposed to turn to?" But you, 
But they get into this village called Capernaum. It says on verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And other boats from Tiberias came and near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus wasn't there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went on to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they were like, hey, how'd you get here? And Jesus answered, I said, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, You're seeking me because you ate your full. Don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, well, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gave you the bread, true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me and this is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose that I should lose nothing of all that is given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And what did the Jews do? Verse 41, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. What was the grumbling about? Read on. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father, we know his mother. How does he say now that he's come down from heaven? Jesus said to them, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, from our perspective, 
Those of us who have been reared up in the faith, those of us for whom we understand what he was saying, it doesn't bother me at all to hear that. But think about if you were hearing these words for the very first time, coming from that perspective, he wants us to eat him? He wants us to drink his blood? Ew, that's disgusting. What? What, is he crazy? What kind of an idiot? Because they couldn't get past. But you see what Jesus did through this? He starts out with a discussion of bread. And he turns it into a theological statement. If you will eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. It is what the Father has ordained. And they can't get it. They, who is the, this guy? He says he comes down from heaven. We know his, we know where he's from. He's from Nazareth for heaven's sakes. He worked with his father Joseph. I knew his mother Mary personally. I knew him since he was this big. How does he say he came down from heaven? What is this? They just can't get past. They can't step over into this mystical, ethereal thing that Jesus is talking about. And literally, what ends up happening, if you get into verse 60, when many of his disciples heard this, not just the Jewish people in Capernaum, but many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh has no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who was there, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, verse 66, listen to this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. See, this was the first Palm Sunday. Hail to the king. He's the prophet who's come into the world. He's the one. He's the one. We're going to follow this man to the ends of the earth because he's the one. Until he starts saying these hard things. And we can't get it. We are not going there. That's disgusting. No. No. Who can listen to that? Who can even be? Ew. And they turned back. And they no longer walked with him. So Jesus turns to the twelve and says, Do you want to go away as well? Now, before we go into what Simon said, think about this. Jesus has spent three years investing into the lives of his apostles, into all of the disciples that were following him, but specifically the twelve. And as soon as he starts talking the truth of the real gospel, it becomes unpalatable. As long as he was feeding them and doing miraculous things and doing great things and talking about love and talking about ministering to your neighbor, all of that was great. But when he starts talking about things that they don't get and they can't understand and they can't quite grasp, they reject it 
and walk. And it literally, it's looking like at this point, they're near the end of his time on this earth, and is he going to lose everything? Is he going to lose everybody? Do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered him, answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is, is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Even in the inner circle, even in the inner circle, the ones who were specifically handpicked by Jesus to be part of, there was still one. For whatever reason, we're not ever really given the reason that Judas burned with hatred towards Christ to the point where he was willing to allow him to die. We know that he had great remorse afterwards. We know that he tried to make it right by throwing the coins back and saying, this isn't mine, this is wrong, this isn't... And they were like, it's on you. It's all on you, it's on your, your blood. His blood is on you. And he couldn't live with that. And he literally went and killed himself because he couldn't live with what he had done. But it, that, was, that was the tail end of the whole story. This is about a year before Christ dies. What's going on here is, is the last, the beginning of the last year, if you will. Scholars tell us that this time frame is the time of the Passover, one year before Christ died. So there's one last year that Judas has with Jesus, walking with him, hearing, looking, seeing all of the things. We're about to, you know, if you were to go back through John and read through it all, you'd see all this stuff that he does. And it gets to John chapter 13, that last um, um, that last Passover with his disciples. And Jesus says in John chapter 13, he who I have extended my love and hospitality to has raised up his heel against me. That's one of the most serious forms or signs of contempt in Middle Eastern culture. Raising up the sole of your foot and showing it to somebody. And basically it's, it's like spitting in somebody's face. So Jesus, who has washed the feet of the disciples that night and has provided this meal and is extending love to them and literally hands, gets some food and hands it to Judas at the table. And Judas just rejects him. And we're told in chapter 13 that the, Satan entered Judas that night. And then Jesus turned and said, go and do what you have to do. Just do it quickly. But again, it's a year before and Jesus is already talking about one of the twelve being a devil. How in the world can someone who knows Jesus that intimately, that tight with him, hand-selected to be one of the twelve? Remember when Jesus selected the twelve? He went and spent the night in prayer with the Father. 
He went and spent the entire night fasting and praying and meditating on who the twelve should be. And then he comes down and the, the next morning he announces, these are the twelve that are going to be my closest associates over my ministry. Wow, one of the twelve. And a year before Jesus is killed, one of you is a devil. I don't get it. I don't get it. Is it because he's just stupid? Is it because he's broken? Was he destined to be and couldn't do anything but this? But what I look at, what I see as I'm looking at this thing is there is this mentality in the crowd that Jesus is supposed to fulfill a certain thing. He's going to be the prophet. He's going to be the one to come and rescue us. Jesus says, that's not what I'm about. And he pulls away from it. A number of times he pulls away from it during his times on the earth. But in his intimate crowd, he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He says it to the people at Capernaum. His 12 are there hearing him. And when everyone starts walking away because they just can't deal with it, Jesus turns and says, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else should we go? To whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. We know that. We understand that. And it doesn't matter if we don't understand every word that you say. And it doesn't matter if we agree with everything that you're asking of us. As long as we know that you are the Holy One of God and our faith is our hope and is and our trust is in you, we will walk the path you lay before us. That's our promise and commitment to you, Jesus. We love you. And we will honor you and we will, we will fight to the end for you. But Judas had something going on inside of his heart that wasn't there. We don't know exactly what it was. But we know that it did happen. We know that it was real. So what that says to me as I'm, as I'm trying to wrap all this up. What am I, where am I seeing this take me? What lesson is this in for me? I'll go there. I came into my office on Tuesday, I think it was this week. Was it Tuesday, Renee, or was it Wednesday? It was Wednesday. Came into my office. My office was cold. Why is my office cold? We have no fuel. <sighs> we have no fuel. Okay, Tanya, hi, this is Bob. Do we have any money that we can buy some fuel with? Because the fuel tank went empty again. No, Pastor Bob, we don't. Hmm. Great. Now what are we going to do? It's cold enough that the pipes will freeze if I don't do something. We don't have any money. And if I don't do something, then, then their, their run is on Thursday. So if I, I have to call today, because if I don't call today, we're going to have to wait until the next week. They're not going to do a run just because we ran out of fuel. Well, they will, but they're not. And all of this is going on. So bottom line, Bob pulls out his personal credit card and writes and, and, and pays $322 so that we can get the minimum delivered. 
So there was 100 gallons of fuel delivered on Wednesday, or on Thursday, and now we're warm again for a few weeks, 10 or 15 days, who knows. But for the last three days, I have been mad, madder than a hornet. This is just ridiculous, God. This is ridiculous. We have, we have a group of people who are committed to you, who are, who are giving the best that they can, who are doing the best that they can. I'm giving sacrificially. For heaven's sakes, God, I gave up everything to move to Alaska for you. You owe us the money to buy fuel. You owe it to us. This isn't right. And I am furious. And I'm not reading your stinking Bible this week. You can keep your Bible. I would not come over here. I would not open up the word of God. I wouldn't pray. I was so mad. Then I was forced, because I have to preach on Sunday. What am I going to preach on Sunday? I don't want to preach on Sunday. I don't even want to go to this stupid church on Sunday. I'm so mad at you right now, God. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And as I began doing what I had to do to get ready for a sermon, God very clearly pointed me to this. And he said, so, Bob, is there a devil in you? Am I not fulfilling your expectations? You don't like the words that I'm saying and you don't like what I'm allowing in your life for my purposes. And you're going to quit and just walk away from it all, even me, because you don't like it, because it doesn't make sense to you, because you're frustrated. What are you going to do, Bob? For sure you're going to preach on Sunday, but are you going to start packing and just leave? And quite honestly, <laughs> you've heard it all through the worship time this morning. I am not seeking your hand, God. I am only seeking your face. I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to see your glory revealed in this place. And if you choose to dry up the, the funds, that's your business. And if you choose to close the building, that's your business. Until you release me from my call to be the pastor of this church and the minister of this community and a son of the living God, I will walk faithfully without anger, without frustration, to the best of my ability. But it's been a tough three days being angry at God. And it's not like I said, it's not like anybody has done anything wrong. Everyone has been giving and working sacrificially. We've been doing all that we can. All that we can to be as frugal as we possibly can. And I'm like, honestly, I was like, God, what in the world are you doing? 
And he said, if you needed to know, you would already know. <laughs> Literally, he wasn't playing any games with me. It's none of your business. Just keep walking the path I have laid before you. But you won't know the path if you don't read the Bible. And you won't hear my voice if you don't pray. So get up off your little high horse and get back where you need to be. So I am committing to you, to him especially, but telling you publicly, that my alarm will be set for early every morning this week and I will be over here in this room every day this week on my face before God, listening, praying, reading the word, because that's all that I have at this point. I cannot magically make $10,000 show up in the bank. I cannot magically create fuel in tanks that are almost empty. Both tanks are less than a, less than a quarter full. Now, winter's almost over with. The warmth is, is coming. But the reality is, we still got to pay an electric bill. We still got to pay a phone bill. Oh, and by the way, we're a month behind on the electric bill. And I'm just like, you know what, God? It is your business. I'm just going to sit quietly and try to hear from you and spend time with you, seeking his face. Because I don't want to end up a Judas Iscariot. And the reality is, it's possible. It's very possible. Now, I'm not saying that as a threat to you guys. I'm just saying it as a statement of fact, as I look in the mirror. If I can allow the circumstances of my life to keep me from praying and to keep me from reading the word of God because I'm so frustrated and literally look at God and shake my fist and say, you owe us. There's something wrong there. There's definitely something wrong there. So I need to confess it, which I'm doing. I'm already, I think it's right between him and me. And it wasn't anything you would have known about. But I need to say it. In the same way, I encourage you in your own walk. Is there anything going on that you are not totally allowing him to be the Lord? where you're still trying to manipulate it and control it the way you want it to be, and you're frustrated because he won't go the way you expect him to do. If so, stop and allow him to be in charge and just let go. Because the danger is, if you try to force something that's not God's plan, He'll withdraw. He will pull back and say, no, not going there. Not going there. And yes, these are hard words. These are things you don't want to hear. These are hard things that I'm asking you to walk. But trust me, because these are, I, these are the words of life. And this is what I'm offering you, is eternal life. And it may not make sense, the path we're taking. But no. That what path I've called you to 
is the path that is best. And just trust me. So that's what I'm going to do this week. And I encourage you, between now and next Sunday, to do the same thing. Get on your face before God. Look at me, God, and see, is there anything going on that is displeasing to you? Is there anything where I'm trying to manipulate the plan? And then let him be Lord. And let him be God. And let's see what he does and where he takes us. Let's pray.